Hello, and welcome to Revolution 22's teaching podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today and hearing this week's sermon. We pray that God's word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. Um, for those that I haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Anthony Higgins, and uh, I'm really excited to be able to study Romans chapter 5 with you this week, um, so I'm glad we're here together. Um, now look, I'm not used to being up on stage here, and so I went and got some advice. Um, I started out with the obvious choice. I went and chatted with Ryan. I was like, hey man, like, what do you think? Like, How long should I budget for this sermon. He's like, you know what? I think if you shoot for around 35 minutes, you'll be in a good spot. I was like, okay, thanks. But then I uh, ran into Bren later in the week. I was like, Bren, like, man, like, what do you think? You know, Ryan told me this, but you know, you're a pretty experienced guy. He said, Anthony, I think as long as you're kind of keeping around 60 minutes or less, like you'll be fine. And I was like, oh, okay, well that, that's starting to really add up. Um, but I think we could all agree that last week Jack did a really great job with chapter four. I was like, hey, Jack, you know, texting. He's a Gen Z millennial. I don't know. So we text. It's like, Jack, what do you think? And he's like, dude, I think you can do it like nine or 10 minutes, like tops, like no, no issues there. And so I was like, okay, well, so you know, here's the deal. I'm, I'm going to do my best to get through this in like an hour and 45 minutes, an hour and 45 minutes tops. And then we'll be out of here and heading to lunch. But no, um, I'm thankful to, to be here. My wife, Annie, and I have been married for a little over 20 years now, almost 21. And uh, yeah, yeah, um, we can clap. It's okay. It's not Southern Baptist Church. Um, we, we've been married for a long time, and we spent most of our married life in Houston, Texas. Um, and it has been overwhelming, but also really encouraging to like pull up roots and, and move to a new city kind of in the middle of all that. And um, it's just been so great to like be with a like-minded body of believers here, and, and we've built some awesome relationships already, whether it's through our gospel community group, uh, helping, out, <laughs> helping out with uh, marriage enrichment retreats, and uh, just walking alongside some of you as we've learned a little bit more about who Jesus is. And so we like to say that we've seen God's fingerprints all over our transition as we've kind of moved uh, up here to, to Boise, and we're super thankful. So, yeah, this week we're going to continue studying through Romans, and uh, this week we're going to be in chapter 5. And before we dive into that text, I think it's going to be helpful for us to define a couple of terms or a couple of ideas so that we're all on the same page. So, you know, maybe you've been here all summer and, and you've heard some of these things that might be a good refresher, but if you're just jumping in uh, fresh uh, with Romans chapter 5, I think this will be a helpful way to kind of anchor us uh, and get on the same page. And so we're going to talk about righteousness, specifically the righteousness of God, and then we're going to talk a little bit about justification, um, specifically justification by faith. So we've uh, been using this definition for the righteousness of God. The Bible uses this definition, and, and it's the righteous act by which a righteous God brings people into right relationship with himself by making them righteous in Jesus Christ. And so there is a lot there. It's a dense uh, definition. But I think the first thing I want us to take away is that God's righteousness is motivated by building relationships. 
It's motivated by building relationships. And then another thing that is important that we've touched on a few times is that righteousness is an attribute of God. It's a part of his character. It's who he is. Another thing that I think is really exciting is is the word brings in this definition. Because what this implies is that God is the one who is taking the initiative action toward his people. Like, God is the first mover. It's not up to us. Like, God makes that initiating move toward us. And then the last thing that's really exciting is that the result of God's righteousness is that a new status is declared upon his people. So we are now declared as righteous because of God's righteousness. So that's a a summary of the righteousness of God, just to kind of get us set as we jump into this chapter. The next uh, idea is justification by faith. And we we really started digging into this in detail last week in chapter 4 when Jack was taking us through that. Um, But the first thing that, well, the definition, the moment when the righteous God declares those who have faith in the gratuitous or free, unconditional, sacrificial, and completed work of Jesus Christ as righteous. And so the first thing I want us to take away here is that God's work on the cross, the gospel, is, is something that has been completed. It's, it's finished. It's done. And we're going to see this in the first verse of chapter 5. It's going to be described as a past and a completed action. The other thing that we see here is that, that we can only be justified by what? By faith. So there's nothing that we can do, to, nothing we bring to the table, nothing we can do to add to this or to earn this. And then finally, just like with God's righteousness, we see that, that a new status is given to God's people because of justification by faith. We are declared as righteous in his eyes because of justification by faith. Okay, so hopefully that gets us kind of on the same page as we jump into chapter 5. And, and, and this is this chapter where, where Paul is starting to make a transition in his gospel presentation. And, and it's going to answer a question that was kind of raised in chapter 1. And, and that is, you know, what, do we, what happens to us when we are in a right relationship with God? Or to say it another way is, what can we now experience in our lives as a result of justification by faith? Um, do, do you ever find yourself going through situations in life where you're thinking to yourself, like, man, this could be so much better? <laughs> you ever think about that? Or, or maybe, like, this should feel so much more rewarding than it does. Like, what am I doing wrong? Or maybe, like, deep down you know, like, I'm settling for something second rate here. I'm settling. I think, I think a lot of us feel that way, and, and, and we see this in our lives and, and the lives of those who are close to us. Um, <clears throat> think, think about a marriage relationship that's become cold and distant. Maybe it's because of a, a stressful job, a jam-packed schedule, or, or just like our attention being fractured from the demands of, of kids and extended family and, and, I mean, a social calendar. I don't know if you have one. I don't, but like... All of these things just affect us. And then go ahead and try to like squeeze in some time for exercise and sleep or whatever. And, and the, you can start to see how the experience of husband and wife starts to look a little bit less like this joyful, peaceful 
relationship and a little bit more like a business partnership. At, at some point, this married couple is left with giving each other the scraps of their love and their attention. I also think we see this play out in our friendships. Um, I, for a long time in my life, I was really good at keeping people at an arm's distance, convinced that if, if they really knew the, the true me, if they knew what I struggled with, that they'd want to have nothing to do with me at all. And when we do that, it's, it's, it's basically trading away this idea or this potential of a, of a deep connection instead of having discipleship. And, and we lose out, we miss out on, on the joy and the security that can come from true uh, understanding and intimacy. And so we're, we're left experiencing like this cheap substitute, right, for a, for a deeper friendship, a deeper, deeper connection. And, and usually when this is happening, we know it's happening, like deep down. Like we know that we're doing this, right? We're, we're kind of getting sucked into that. My, my world should look like Instagram, and, and, and the key to happiness is neatly packaging up and managing my sins so that nobody really kind of knows that part of my life. Um, and we make these trade-offs, and, and the God-created desires for security and joy and hope get pushed down. And this is just the unfortunate reality in the context of a broken, fallen, sinful world. And, and if I'm really honest with myself, I can do the same thing with the gospel. I can do the exact same thing with the gospel. And, and what I usually find is that the gospel has far more for me to experience than what I usually settle for. So turn with me in chapter 5. Paul is, is in this place where he knows that his Gentile and his Jewish readers are distracted. They're caught up in maintaining appearances and trying to keep this certain image. And, and they're at risk of missing out on the great things we can experience because of the gospel's truth. And so we're going to see him start to uncover what we can experience because of justification by faith, no matter what the circumstances are. So let's look at the first five verses of Romans chapter 5, and it starts out saying, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the first thing that we see is that we can have peace. What is a memory that comes to your mind when you think about feeling peaceful? Robert's smiling. He's got one on his mind. I like to think about being up in the mountains with the stars and a quiet night far away from the light pollution of, of the valley. And I don't know, maybe you're thinking about a hammock on a beach or retiring, Steve, I don't know. Um, maybe just listening to some of your favorite music. Um, but, but when you think about those memories, like how lasting are those things? How permanent do those feel? If you're like me, like most days range from good to bad to indifferent and I've got some busy days and some fun stuff that happens, but like feeling peaceful, like how often is my life at peace? The type of peace that Paul is talking about here is not promising an easy life. That's not what he's getting at. Um, and, and we know that Paul experienced the very opposite of an easy life, right? His ministry featured him being stoned and beaten, lashed, chased, 
imprisoned multiple times and ultimately executed. And, and even as he writes this letter from Corinth, this is a town where they ran him out of the synagogue. And so Paul's not like talking about like, hey, this is a, the peaceful kind of life that we can expect. Um, what he's getting at is this idea of relational harmony. And so it's the idea of being in a relationship where there's no tension. Can you imagine that? A relationship where there's no tension. And, and I think this takes on even more importance when we remember that relationships, right, they go two ways. And so what this implies is that God is at peace with us. Like God is at peace with me. He's at peace with you. And, and this is just so much, there's so much more depth to that kind of peace than I think what we often think about as, as, a, as a peaceful afternoon or, or feeling peaceful. So an awesome promise of peace. And then the next thing that we see here is that through him we have also obtained access by faith. And this is getting at the right and the opportunity that we now have to approach God the Father through Jesus. It's not, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Okay, um, And this is meant to enhance our peace and the assurance of a relationship that's no longer messed up by our like sinful tension that we've created. And because we know that God's design is based in unconditional love, we can now access him from a place of peace instead of a place of fear. I think um, sometimes we can, we can hear people say things like, you know what, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of God. But if, we, if we're struggling with access in this way by saying those things, what we're really saying is that there's something that we can do to create that access. And what we need to remember is that there, there's nothing we did to earn this access. This is all about Jesus' finished work on the cross. And then he is the one that gives us this new status of righteousness. So, so peace, we see access, and then we see rejoice, or this idea of being joyful, okay? And I always like to distinguish being joyful with, with feeling happy, right? Happiness is very fleeting. It's, it's based on our ever-changing circumstances. But joyful is something that, that we can experience much more permanently, and it's only because we know that we have been forgiven of so very much. We can be joyful. And in verse 2, we read that we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God because we know that our brokenness and the brokenness of the world is is one day going to be over. And then in verse 3, we see that we can remain joyful even when things aren't going our way, like even when we suffer. And, And Paul starts to unpack this idea of of suffering. We're to expect that it's going to happen, but also that there's a bit of a process to it. And the process is not empty. It's it's very purposeful. It it produces endurance, it produces character, and then it produces hope, ultimately hope. And I mean, for me, and I think most of us, it's it's a little easier for me to understand this idea that suffering is going to produce endurance. It's going to produce character, right? This is like any athlete that's out there trying to go through a grueling training schedule, the ups and downs of their sport. Like, we get that, like, endurance and character is going to be built through that kind of suffering. But hope, hope, that's, that's a little bit different than what we're used to. And so if we look at, at verse 5, we see that even in the midst of our suffering, we can have this hope that does not put us to shame, 
And what is this getting at? A hope that does not put us to shame. This indicates the security of our salvation. Jack uh, shared from chapter 4 last week, and I loved a phrase that he used. He said, this is something that we can be fully convinced of. Like, we know that we're not going to be let down at the end of, you know, because of a disappointing outcome. We're not going to be put to shame because we know it's a promise we can believe in. And, and I love the language that's used here in verse 5. It says, God's love has been poured into our hearts. And so, not like a few little drops, not like a trickle, but being like a gushing stream. This word that's used, echo, I had to use one Greek word today. Um, echo, this is like a, a gushing stream and, and like a flood changes the entire landscape. Our souls are completely changed by how this gift from the Holy Spirit is freely and lavishly given to us. And so we have reason to be hopeful because of being sure of the outcome. So peace, access, joy, and hope. Through justification by faith, we're imprinted with a new identity, a new security, and a new hope. And experiencing these things affects my past, my present, and my future, which is really great news. Because the, the guilt and shame and the burden from my past has now been erased. And I'm seen with new eyes. Um, I can have a, a relationship with God today because of the access that he's given us. And I, I know that having that direct access allows me to experience hope and joy and security in my future. And so I'll say it again, like the gospel has far more for me to experience than what I usually end up settling for. Peace and access and joy and hope. And they affect my past, my present, and my future. Let's take a look at the next uh, handful of verses, uh, Romans 5, 6 through 11. Um, here we're starting to see Paul lay out this beautiful gospel presentation um, and, and he's highlighting another aspect that we can hope to experience, and that's this idea of security. And I think if, if we didn't know where Paul was going with this at first, um, we might feel a little bit beat up. Because look at some of the words that he's using to describe us here. We are, we are weak, ungodly, sinners, and enemies. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, I mean, even, even at our best, like if you view this as a progression, even at our best, we're called weak or like useless. Um, I, I used to work with this guy out in the field, out in the, in the oil fields, and he was very kind to his new engineers that were graduating and coming out from college. Um, and he used to call them, you guys are like screen doors on a submarine. Like, right? Like smart, sure, but useless to him. Until they, okay, just now figuring it out. Yeah, the water goes through the screen. Um, useless to him, right? Because they didn't have the field experience. They didn't have the, the, you know, the credibility in his eyes. And so, like, what's Paul getting at here? Why, why is he using these labels? Why is he leading off with calling us weak and useless and then continuing? Um, you know, if, if we examine the context of of his and the overall gospel message, like these labels should really help put us at ease. 
They should help put us at ease. And, and it's because we are reminded there's nothing we could ever do or add to like earn this salvation or this justification by faith. And, and as he continues with ungodly sinners and enemies, I mean, he's describing us as, as being devoted to sin and even hostile toward God. Even at our worst, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And, and this gift that's extended to us is unmerited, it's, it's unconditional, and it's gratuitous. And, and now we see that we're given some new names and new identities. So we see justified, saved, and reconciled. And, and I don't think we're used to this in our day-to-day lives. Um, Paul is contrasting basically man's love with, with how God loves. And I know I'm not the only one here that, that has experienced the way that the world or, or, or our earthly fathers extend love conditionally. Um, it just feel, it can feel really tenuous. But, but the way that he is using this progression, it's, it's to remind us that, that we're loved despite not ever earning his love. And, and as a result, we can have freedom from guilt from our sin in the past. Uh, we, can, we can have peace in our relationship with him today. And then this idea of security in our salvation for tomorrow. That's awesome. Another, another great question that I think this taps into that a lot of us kind of wonder about is this idea of, can I lose my salvation? Like, can I lose my salvation? And, it, and if we look at the text here, Unless we think that we did anything to earn it or deserve it in the first place, the answer to that question is no. The answer to that question is no. Christ is the one who earned our salvation through his work on the cross. So therefore, he's the only one that could lose our salvation. And if we think of it this way, like Jesus is the one that would have to sin in order for that to happen. So if we remember that Jesus is perfectly holy, and he's seated next to a holy and perfect and just God. And he's in heaven where there is no sin. Like this, this should give us tremendous security as to where our salvation lies. I mean, do you ever think about that pile of sin, like growing so high that like, you know, someone's going to bail on me. Or I have this besetting sin that I struggle with so frequently I can't shake it. Or, or this addiction feels so powerful. Like I'm sure... God doesn't want anything to do with me, but that is not the case. God will never bail on us. Our salvation is secure. The gospel has far more for me to experience than what I usually settle for. We can be so secure in our salvation because of God's unmerited love. So stepping back uh, just a little bit, We've, we've looked at the first half of chapter 5, and it's talked a lot about how we can experience hope because of justification by faith. And, and Paul has used a lot of kind of legal language as he's worked us through this, this part of the text. Now we're going to look at the second half of Romans chapter 5, and it's also going to talk about how we can now experience hope. But this time, sorry, um, this time it's, it's a little more of a relational concept. He's going to talk about Christ's triumph over Adam's sin. Let's take a look at verses 12 through 21. And we're going to have this compare and contrast idea going up here where on the, on the right, your left, 
uh, is, is representation by Adam, and on the other side is, is representation by Christ. And what Paul's doing here in this section is he's making the case that we are spiritually represented by someone. And it's either by Adam or it's by Christ. And I think it's, it's common for us to struggle a little bit with this idea of representation. I mean, we're a very modern, progressive, individualistic culture. And so, like, to be represented by someone else, like, I don't know. We can struggle with that. We're, we're very comfortable, right, with this idea of, of earning things and performing well. And, and we'll accept our dues, whether good or bad, just based on how we, you know, like, operate at work or just in life in general. Um, but, but a couple of ways that I think we see representation commonly play out in our culture are with politics and work. I think it's easy for a lot of people to ascribe to a representative from a political party, like Democrat, Republican, independent, whatever. And I also think it's comfortable for us to say, you know, I work for company XYZ, and so, you know, they represent me. Um, we're not going to get into politics this morning, so don't worry. But, but I did work for an energy company for like 22 years and, and this company had built an impeccable reputation for their safety and environmental and, and financial track record. And so almost anywhere around the world we would go, where we would operate, we would like, we'd see our logo, you know, really in a visible spot. We'd feel really proud, uh, you know, of, of who we worked for. We'd feel confident in the company that was representing us. So almost everywhere we'd go, we'd like feel really good about that, except for this one place. There was this coastal, third-world country uh, called California. And, and when, when, too, too soon. When, when we would go operate in, in this place, like we were encouraged to stay under the radar with regards to who we worked for, like who represented us. And so... You know, we're used to like, oh, I got my, my, my patch on my shirt. I've got my logo on my computer bag. They were like, no, keep all of that under the radar because now you're going into a more hostile territory. And, and I was used to this idea of, of feeling, you know, proud of the company I worked for. It was a pretty easy ask for me to be represented. But, but when we went there, that felt really uncomfortable to me. In fact, it really, it felt undeserved to me, to like, like, what is the deal here? Um, Paul, when he talks through this idea of spiritual representation by Adam and by Christ, he's getting into this concept of what's called federal headship. Federal headship. And, and this is a, a covenantal relationship concept that would have been really familiar to Paul's readers during the day in Corinth. Um, because, you know, their ancestors and their families... Uh, their, their tribes, they would either be held responsible for or get credit for the actions of their representative. And so the people of that time were in federation with or in solidarity with or in covenant with their representatives. Paul packages up uh, this idea uh, very succinctly in 1 Corinthians 15, 21 through 22. And here he's, he's laying out the same argument that he's making in the second half of Romans chapter 5. It says, For since death came through a man, 
the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made, all will be made alive. So, so all of humanity has this covenantal federal relationship with Adam and Christ. What was done in history is credited to our accounts. And so in chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, we find that Adam, who is the progenitor of original sin, has marked our ancestry with physical death, and he's credited his descendants with spiritual death. Death reigned like a monarch, and, and being born into this original sin further refutes any claim that we could ever make that, like, I can do something here to overcome this. Um, no, no one can ever outrun this idea of original sin. Theologian Charles Hodge said it like this. He said, original sin is the only rational solution of the undeniable fact of the deep, universal, and early manifested sinfulness of men in all ages of every class and in every part of the world. So we've seen that the gospel, it's, it's not a, a list of things that we need to do in order to save ourselves, right? But rather it's an announcement of what has already been done to save us. And in verse 15, we find a, a really incredible hope. Christ's death on the cross fulfills the historical anticipation of what Adam's type could not resolve. We have hope. We have a new life. We have abundance of grace and this free gift of righteousness. Um, Similar to how I felt when I was being represented by my company, I think it's pretty easy for us to imagine sitting under and accepting the representation of, of someone who leads us well or when things are going really well, right? But it's not so easy to stomach being represented by Adam, like, he's crediting us with, with sin and death. And, and I think it's, it's very normal for us as, as modern people to say something like, you know what, I don't deserve that. Or we hear this phrase a lot, I choose not to accept that truth. I choose not to accept that. But if, if we look at verse 17, look at that one again. Unless we accept the negative representation, we can't then accept the positive representation. It doesn't work like that. I mean, do you think it's only okay to get something you don't deserve as long as it's good? That would be inconsistent with with everything we're seeing here in chapter 5. And we now know that a key to our hope and our salvation, it's, it's in the fact that God is the one that fully dealt with our sin through the work of Christ on the cross. The representation of Christ as, as the progenitor of salvation is how we can be restored in right relationship with him. And that goes back to this idea of peace in verse 1. It's a relationship without tension. And his representation, his representation it, it, it not only restores us back to the Garden of Eden where, where Adam was, but, but there's a promise of, of more. Like we're promised a new heaven and a new earth. Our, our, our relationship with God is going to be close. It's going to be elevated. It's going to be better. And this is just an amazing example of of how we can see peace and access and joy, hope and security, all these things just wrapping around us. 
And I just cannot say it enough. The gospel has so much more for us to experience than what we usually settle for. Having a proper understanding of justification by faith, as it's described here in Romans chapter 5, this allows us to experience true hope. We can have peace because our relationship with the creator is no longer messed up by like our sin. We can have access here and now today and, and grow in a relationship with a God who wants to have a relationship with us in the first place. And then we can have hope for tomorrow, knowing that our salvation is secure. And I'll be honest, a lot of times I can forget these truths and get focused on the things of the world around me. Uh, it happens a lot. I mean, work is stressful. People don't know how to drive. Um, parents, maybe your kids have too much energy and, and they're just making you nuts, right? And kids, may, maybe your parents are worn out and they're making you nuts. Um, maybe you're going after a side hustle or uh, trying to get another degree and, and it's just not all that fulfilling to you. Um, Maybe it seems like friends and people in your life don't really want to get to know the real you. Or, or maybe you're the one that's, that's holding back and not allowing others to, to really get to know who you are, warts and all. Um, if, if we get caught into this trap of thinking that we deserve something better, uh, I think that's, a, that's a, miss, a missed opportunity of us to understand what the truth of the gospel and this idea of justification by faith has for us. God is the one who put his son where only we deserve to be, and, and, and that's on the cross. And if we remember that the moment that we believe and the moment that we're justified by his blood is when that happens, like we, we will never have more joy than, than what we'll experience in that moment. And so we're promised so, so very much. Um, I'd like to close with a quote from C.S. Lewis, who I think does a great job of driving this point home. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. And we're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. you pray with me? Father, we confess that, um, I confess that I all too often settle for less than what the magnitude of your gospel promises to provide us. I ask that we just, that you draw us closer to you and, and help us better understand the weight of your righteousness and justification. We trust you with our lives and our relationships. We, we believe that, that you want to lavish us with your gifts of peace and access and joy and hope. Thank you that we can have security because of your son's finished work on the cross. I confess that, that we, we all too often live in a way that seeks to add to or earn your favor, but we recognize your work is fully complete. 
It's fully sufficient. It's freely given to us. Thank you for this opportunity to study your word today and and may it impact everyone as we leave. In your name we pray. Amen.